Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. So today, um, the topic is Be filled with the Spirit. I thank God that I have thought about the gospel, I have thought about other things. So you know say that he's only spirit, I know. But even if he's only spirit, I know. Praise God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 20. In the spirit of our week, I think it's a good um, topic to consider. Be filled with the spirit. Ephesians in chapter 5. Like I always say, I honestly think that this sermon will be short. And I want it to be short. Alright. Verse 15 to 20. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Okay. So, if you look at that statement, um, be filled with the Spirit, or the instruction, be filled with the Spirit, um, sometimes it's an instruction, sometimes it's not, right? Um, it seems to me that there are like two different contexts in which the fullness of the Spirit is described in the Bible, right? That's what it looks like. And I will show you from God's Word, right? So it seems that there are two contexts in which the fullness of the Spirit is discussed um, in the New Testament. The first one, which I'll run through quickly before I go into the second one, is um, usually a sovereign, spontaneous working of the Spirit in a person so that the person can, you know, it's like an, it's a sovereign enablement by the Spirit for a person at a particular time, a particular time frame, so that the person can accomplish a particular purpose or communicate a particular message and stuff like that. Amen? Um, we, we have examples. Um, for example, in Luke, Luke chapter 1 and verse 39 to 42. Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 42. Okay. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the ill country of Judea where he entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Hallelujah. Mm, let me finish it. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb 
leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Hallelujah. So we see an example here of someone whom we will say is not born again, right? I mean, Jesus already told us, remember the decision on the spirit of Pentecost, right? Jesus already told us that um, John chapter 7, it says that um, on, the, on that great day of the feast, um, he shouted with a loud voice and said, um, if anyone thirsts, you know, let him come to me. As the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And the Bible now says that this is book of the Spirit that had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But we see here that there was a working of this same Spirit in life of the woman called Elizabeth, right? And the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and she bore witness to the incarnation. She bore witness to the incarnation. So, we see in one context that the fullness of the Spirit is a supernatural thing, a supernatural working of the Spirit in life of a person, you know, a supernatural enablement for um, someone like Elizabeth to recognize that the baby in Mary's womb is the Lord. Do you see that? So, this is where um, it gets a bit profound for me, is that this place, this particular event, actually gives us a pointer into the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, in life of the prophets, right? Um, if you remember what we said uh, when I talked about the Spirit of Pentecost, you know, we talked about how that when the Spirit was given in the promise of the Spirit, right, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, he will bear witness of me. And he said, you will bear witness also, Right? It says that it will indwell you. It will live in you. So we see a working of the Spirit where the Holy Spirit actually indwells a person to the end that the person is a child of God. You know, the indwelling, the indwelling that Isaiah, um, Ezekiel prophesied when it says that a new heart I will give to you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you the heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them, right? So there is this... Working of the Spirit inside of a person that makes the person a child of God, that takes away the stony heart, that awakens a person from spiritual death. You see that, right? But there's also a working of the Spirit in a person that is to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Did you see that in the last teaching? Now, we can see from here that obviously Elizabeth was not born again. The stony heart had not been removed. A bit had been removed. I dare you to answer me. Don't be afraid. Had the stony heart been removed? Why are you afraid? For some, I say been removed. If for some, you say the stony heart had been removed, this entire sermon is cancelled. So I'll just <laughs> drop the mic <laughs> and go. <laughs> Hallelujah. How do we know? How do we know? We know because. This removal of the stony heart was on a promissory note, right? And the person that will fulfill the promise, John the Baptist said that I baptize this water, but there's someone greater than me who is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And he himself, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, what did he say? He said that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Amen. Amen. That is clear enough, right? So how does this um, teach us about the Old Testament prophets? Simple. It simply just shows us 
that the Holy Spirit can actually work in a person, right? Can empower a person to bear witness to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that shall come. Do you see that? It shows that in the Old Testament, though the Spirit was at work in the Holy Prophets, it did not mean that they were born again. It just simply means that the Holy Spirit was at work in them to enable, just like he enabled Elizabeth. Does that make sense? Let me show you a scripture that we commonly, you know. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. So, already we've recognized that um, the Holy Spirit um, bears witness, Right? Um, like, like the Nicene Creed says, um, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. But the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has the words spoken through the prophets. Great. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12. No, I'm just trying to build up to where I'm going to. 10 to 12. The Bible says, concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospels to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The Bible says that they were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Holy Spirit, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and glories that should follow. So the funny thing is that, um, I don't know about you, but for, for me before, um, I, I heard someone teach it that way. And so that was how I explained it. That when it says that the Holy Spirit was, that was in them, you know, he was saying that the Holy Spirit that was in their message. You've heard that before? You haven't. You people are not OGs. So, <laughs> he's the same person now. <laughs> so, they say that, you know, that it was that place is basically just saying that the Spirit of Christ that was in their message, right? But I don't see why we should be afraid to say that the Spirit of Christ was in them. There's no reason to be afraid to say it. Why? Because we've established, you know, we talked about the Spirit of Pentecost, that the Spirit can come into a person to enable does not necessarily mean that the Spirit made the person born again. So, the Holy Spirit enabled who? Elizabeth. So, it may be giving you a dick that if the Holy Spirit entered her to enable her, then she has to be saved. Are you the sovereign Lord? Are you the baptizer in the Holy Ghost? She doesn't have to be saved. The Holy Spirit filled her to enable her. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit did a work in her to enable her to recognize the Lord. And so the Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she bore witness. Just like Jesus had said the Holy Spirit would do. So the Holy Spirit didn't start bearing witness when Jesus came home. The Holy Spirit had been bearing witness from the Old Testament. He has spoken through the prophets. Amen? Is it clear enough? I'm tempted to say any questions, but you people will stress me. Any questions? Good. No. Eh. 
See, this is more interactive, right? I'm even, I even want to corroborate what you said, that even an enemy of Jesus, like Caiaphas, just because he was the high priest that year, the Holy Spirit used him to prophesy that Jesus had to die to save many. Thank you, sir. You have a question. So, will the question come at the end? But you can ask this. Well, so, she's asking that if the Holy Spirit enters a person to enable, is it the same thing as the Holy Spirit enjoying a person? I think it's all vocabulary. I think so, right? Because um, can we make a case for the indwelling of the Spirit and specifically say that this is what the indwelling of the Spirit means? Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit was in the prophets. You understand what I'm saying? What we know is that the Holy Spirit did a work in the New Testament. The work he did in the New Testament was to make men born of God. Make men born again. Right? In the Old Testament, we see that the work he did was to enable people to fulfill God's eternal plan. Even up to Bezalel and Oliab. Even though he looked at like, oh, he just enabled them to have craftsmanship. But their craftsmanship was what was used to build the temple, which was a type and shadow of the reality that was to come in Christ. Does that make sense? So it can, you know, for example, I, I think for Bezalel, right, um, I think the Bible says that he has, my spirit is in, is in them or something like that. Is, is that it? Who remembers? I'm not sure, but you can check it for me. So I, I think it's vocabulary because I can make a case that and say that, oh, the indwelling of the Spirit happened in the Old Testament too. Because the Bible tells us, even Peter the Apostle, who is meant to be um, new creation, the rock, said that the Spirit was in them and speaking concerning the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. I think that where we should settle our minds in is that the Holy Spirit can empower a person to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Right? And that's what we saw in the Old Testament, how that the Holy Spirit was speaking through the prophets in the Old Testament. Now here, in the New Testament, we see that he's not just bearing witness, but he also was making men children of God. Does that make sense? So, for in, in the New Testament, Jesus' promise was clear. He said that he will um, bear witness of me. He says that he will be in you and all of that. So, he was just showing us that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit will indwell a man and make him a child of God, born again. You know, that's what the Bible says, you know, to be born of the Spirit. Praise God. Okay, let's talk. So I just want us to use that to, um, to bring our minds to um, at least be able to picture, you know, the workings of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament through the prophets, right? Now, I'm still talking about the first context in which, you know, we see this whole thing of the fullness of the Spirit. Sorry, are you satisfied? Rosalind, are you satisfied? Huh? Okay, no wala. All right. So, we see other examples in Luke chapter 1. That's in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. By the way, I'm still going to explain what it means to be full of the Spirit. Okay? Like I said, I want to run through this first context and owning on the second context. And there's a reason why I need to run through the first context. Because if I just jump to the second context, you will ask me that, but the Holy Spirit fills people up without them taking responsibility, as it were, for it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. In 
Luke chapter 1 and verse 67, the Bible says, His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So, Zechariah came prophesying about um, John's ministry um, in revealing Christ to Israel. Do you, do you see that? But, I mean, Zechariah was a priest under the old covenant. But the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit and he was prophesied. Just like we saw in Peter saying that you know, the Holy Spirit that was in them was pointing them to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. Is that clear enough? Okay. So um, we also see in Acts 4 and verse 8, after the resurrection of Jesus, we still see the same thing of the Holy Spirit enabling people. Um, and what the, Bible, the term the Bible uses is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness known to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, or whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So we see here again that when we talk about the fullness of the Spirit, in one context, we are talking about how that in the moment, the Holy Spirit did a work in a person, and the person was enabled to do stuff. Is that clear? You know, and Peter was even um, fulfilling Jesus' promise in Luke chapter 12. Let me just read that to you. Luke chapter 12 and verse 11 to 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 to 12. It says, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So, that means that he was saying that when they appear before the synagogues and the priests and all of that, right, they don't need to overthink it. The Holy Spirit will fill their mouth. And what we saw fulfilled in the book of Acts was that the Bible says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke God's word. Praise God. That's clear, Abby. Great. Let's see two more examples. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. The Bible says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see that? So they were praying. They were having a moment of prayer. And as they were praying, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And the Bible says that they went out to speak the word of God with boldness. So that means that the Holy Spirit can, or someone can be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And the person will manifest boldness in the preaching of the gospel. Amen? So one, one thing that we can learn from this whole spontaneous thing is that, uh, is that we can actually pray for the infilling of the Holy Spirit in this context. Do you see it? That in this context, you can pray that um, every time we have to preach the gospel, that we experience this phenomenon called the infilling of the Holy Spirit, where we are not um, depending on our own wisdom in the communication of the gospel, but depending on the power of God in the communication of the gospel. Right? We can pray that as we step out for our evangelisms, that we are filled with the Spirit of God so that we can go out in boldness. Do you see that? So a person can actually pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you understand that this is the context we are talking about. Amen? Finally, finally, finally. 
Acts chapter 7, my favorite. I don't know why. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 57. The Bible says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him. Hallelujah. You know, I love it. So the Bible tells us here also that someone being filled with the Holy Spirit, God opened his eyes and he saw a vision, right? And he saw the glory of God. Praise God. So um, we see all of that in this first context. But here comes the second context of what it means to be full of the Spirit. And this second context speaks of human responsibility in our daily living. So the first context spoke of, you know, God sovereignly doing a work through the Holy Spirit in the lives of people, right? Um, many times spontaneously, you know. In the Old Testament, it wasn't actually spontaneous, but um, God sovereignly doing a work in them to enable them to do stuff. Praise God. And we saw that in the New Testament, um, what was used to describe that is being full of the Spirit. And being full of the Spirit. So how did they even know? Is that by observation, you can look at someone and you just know that the way this person is talking is not, it's not something that he read up somewhere, right? It is that this person, being filled with the Spirit, is communicating such wisdom. Praise God. And I'm sure that this has happened to you, but you have become so naturalistic that um, you don't think it's anything. How that you go out on evangelism to talk to people. In one moment, you were scared, you didn't know what to say. In the next moment, you are rambling on and on and on and on and on. And you are meeting the person at the point of their need as you are preaching the gospel. But for you, it's like, no my level now. If Luke was there, if Luke was reporting it, he will say, Shaye, being full of the Spirit, spoke to that man, and the man fell on his knees and believed the gospel. Amen? All right. But then there's a second context where we talk about the fullness of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, that we started reading, verse 18. Let's start from verse 15 again. It says, be very careful then how you live your life. So you can see already that Paul is not just talking about something which you wish that will happen to you here. He's saying you to take control of your life. He's saying you to take responsibility for your life. Can you see? He says that be careful. I can imagine him putting his hand on his head. and saying be careful how you live your life. Right? <laughs> not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Praise God. Many people, when they think of this old drunkenness thing, you know, there's a way that they take it so literally that we lose sight of what the Lord is trying to communicate to us through Paul's writing. So when they say, oh, don't be drunk with wine, in their minds, and you see this a lot in hypercharismatism, 
that in their minds is saying that replace the wine with the Holy Spirit, but with the same effect of drunkenness. So you see people in church who will do a lot of, you know, laughing hysterically, um, bumping into walls and bumping into chairs and jumping up and down and running and jogging and stuff. And then when you, when you ask that what's going on, they say we are drunk with the Spirit and they'll be laughing. Ha, 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 ha. And when we are singing a song, you know, it's usually chants. I'll be singing. So, um, it's sad because I've been there. So, there's a way that you can literally see that and say that there's such a thing as being drunk with the Spirit. And then you have a literal expression of it. Which, of course, um, if you slap the person in that moment, the person will not be drunk again. But let's leave that. So, um, share what's wrong with you. So, <laughs> but let's, let's talk about what Paul, what Paul is communicating here, right? Drunkenness is what results from being given over to wine, right? Drunkenness is what results from being given over to wine. And Paul says that. When you are drunk with wine, right, it says it leads to dissipation. Another person says that you are overcome. You know, it leads to a corruption, corruption of your will, a corruption. Praise God. And the funny thing for me is that he wasn't even saying that don't be drunk slash addicted to something bad in itself. For example, he didn't say don't be addicted to lying. Don't be addicted to stealing. It says don't be drunk with wine. And you, I mean, when you think about it, if you look at wine just as it is, we are wine. You see places like when the Bible says that somebody should drink a little wine because of his stomach troubles. So like, wow, wine can be a good thing, right? Um, wine can be a good thing. You know, alcohol, you use it to clean wounds and stuff. You use it to disinfect cabinets and tables and surfaces, like alcohol can be a good thing, right? Um, use it to sterilize in the laboratory. It can be a good thing. But the Bible says that a person can be drunk on something that seems good, right? And it will corrupt them. Hallelujah. The scene of drunkenness is actually the scene of allowing something else other than God, to lead your life. So, when Paul is saying that be not drunk with wine, wearing his excess, he's saying that don't allow wine, right, to lead your life on the path of corruption. Hmm? He now says, but be filled with the Spirit. Does that look anything like... <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Be not drunk with wine. Be not giving over to wine to the end that it leads your life. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying that it is your responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. You know, let me just quickly say this. One, one of the excesses I fell into years back was to tell people that, no, don't pray for the fullness of the Spirit. It is your responsibility to be filled with the Spirit. And that's why I first started from where I started from. So you can know 
that the Lord can sovereignly do a work in a person to enable them to do stuff. Praise God. But there's also a perspective where there's responsibility on you not to be given over to wine, right? So that wine can lead your life on the path of corruption, corrupting your will, corrupting your perspective and all of that, right? Now says instead, be given over to the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Yield yourself to the influence of the Spirit, not to the influence of wine. Yield yourself to the influence of the Spirit. Do you see that? Is it clear? Now, someone may say that, ah, uh-uh, the Bible cuckoo said that, you know, um, I should be, I should not be drunk with wine, right? But I know myself, I don't drink, so I don't give myself over to wine. And so this injunction does not concern me. But how many times in our lives have we given ourselves over to something that is seemingly good, but ultimately corrupts us because we give ourselves over to it to lead our lives? So people are drunk with sex. For example, in the confines of marriage, it is good, it is beautiful, it is godly, right? But somehow, people can take that thing that has good properties, right, and be intoxicated by it such that it leads their life on the path of corruption. And so remember that the sin of drunkenness is the sin of allowing something else other than God to lead your life. The sin of drunkenness, drunken by riches, a person can be given over to riches such that riches leads their life on the path of corruption. Riches in itself, is it bad? No. Sex in itself, is it bad? No. Wine in itself, is it bad? No. But a person can be drunken with wine until he is overcome. Praise God. The same thing with social media. Probably the worst in our generation. That a person can be given over to social media and it begins to define your life's perspectives. It begins to define how you take every step of your life. It begins to define how you, um, how you rate people, your interactions with other people. It corrupts your will. Is social media bad in itself? Don't we use it to do evangelism? Don't we use it to argue theology? But we also use this social media and you can watch so much of social media, spend so much time on social media such that you don't have an identity of your own but you are a you are a Frankenstein monster of many people's philosophies and ideologies. And you are confused. And that's why there is a generation that every time they have mental health issues. And I'm not talking down on mental health issues. I hope you understand. Okay. Let me tell you, I have people around me who sincerely, honestly have mental health issues. Right? We also have people that their mental health issue is because they have become a Frankenstein monster of all the philosophies that they come across on social media because um, they awaken onto social media, right? Their meditation is in social media. And so when they are drunk in social media, in which is dissipation, and not filled with the Spirit. Amen? He taught you. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Already you can see it. That if the injunction says that don't be given over to the wine to the end that it overcomes you and leads you on a path of corruption, it says instead be filled with the Spirit. That simply means be given 
to the spirit. Instead of building yourself under the influence of the natural things and be drunken by them, such that it corrupts you, it says that you should use yourself under the influence of the spirit. How, how does that even happen? We will see in a moment. So it says to submit yourselves to the influence of the spirit. Okay, let me just tell you. How does it happen? Back to our Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, 18 and 19. It says, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. It says that the way you'll be filled with the Spirit is by speaking to one another. And what's the content of the speaking? So there's a scripture that looks very similar to this scripture, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. It says that let the word of Christ, listen carefully, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, right? So, the content of your speaking is what's the word of Christ. Amen? Amen. Good. So, it says that let the word of Christ only you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right? Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, Paul is saying that the way a person is filled with the Spirit is by yielding themselves to the Spirit. How does that work? It says speaking to one another. The word of God. So primarily, it is speaking to one another. But his emphasis in that verse is that you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But primarily, how do you yield yourself under the influence of the Spirit? The word of God. You are yielding yourself to the word of God. So while social media can be, you know, filling your heart with information over and over and over again until you are drunk, right? until you are drunk unto the point of corruption. The Bible says that you can also be filled, right, under the influence of the Spirit of God. You can receive of the Spirit of God and it's also, um, what it is that you have received guides your life on the path of life. Praise God. So, the fullness of the Spirit is submitting to the transforming power of the Spirit, right? And this submitting to the transforming power of the Spirit is in our talking to one another. It is so simple, it is very easy to miss. That the way we leave room for the Spirit to walk in our lives in a transforming way is in our one another moments. Very simple, but very easy to miss. And as I some can say that, oh, in my personal devotion, right, I can submit to God, I can be transformed, I can, I can, I can receive um, transformation in my personal devotion. And they are not wrong, because the fullness of the Spirit is submission to the Spirit. They are not wrong. But what they forget, which they easily miss, is that the branches of your personal devotion are connected to the vine of our one another. Amen. Oh, in my pers- I don't have to come to church. In my personal devotion, you know, I will know the Lord, right? I will be, I will be yielded under the influence of the Spirit, 
right? I will know the word of God and it will transform me. You are right. You are right. But don't come to church. I'm serious. Try it. Don't try it. Because let's not be that it's your life will use the experiment. But do you get what I'm saying? That's your devotion. Like I said, poetically. That the branches of your devotion are connected to the vine of our one another. Paul says that be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another the Word of God. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 to 25, this is demystifying being filled with the Spirit. It is fellowshipping with God through God's people. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, 24 to 25. It says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up together, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see that? It says that the way we are spurred on to love and good works is in our one another moments. The way we are filled with the Spirit is in our one another moments. It's not in our isolation. The isolation is good because ultimately, remember, being filled with the Spirit is yielding yourself to the Spirit of God. So being filled with the Spirit is using yourself to the Spirit of God. You can use yourself to the Spirit of God in your closets, reading your Bible and praying. But what you are seeing here is that what is even spurring you to love and good works is in this one another. Your personal devotion is mightily, powerfully hinged on our gathering, on our one another. Is that clear? It's clear. Are you sure? So, I'm not growing. I'm not having the kind of sense I should be having. You are forsaking one another. Praise God. I hope you know. And I just say, with my chest, that extremes are bad. But I'll take someone who comes to church regularly over someone who doesn't have a consistent prayer life at home. You know why? Because if you are coming to church regularly, you'll be hearing the word of God thoughts. You're not the kind of person that will live alone in the house to be figuring it out by yourself. <laughs> I'd rather that you're even coming to church first. One thing we shall know is that the Bible says that in our one another moment, we will spur ourselves onto love and good works. I tell you, you are coming to church. Bible says that that's how you'll be filled with the Spirit. Of course, it's not limited to church. Do you understand what I'm saying? From the vine of the church, branches out your personal devotion and every other thing that means that you are submitted to the will of God, submitted to the influence of the Spirit, you know, praying, reading the Bible, and all of that. Okay? Okay. In Psalm 92. I like this one. Psalm 92, verse 13 to 14. 
Are you learning something? If you are learning, raise your hand. These people are not learning. No. If you are learning, raise your hand. <laughs> Thank you, I'm joking. Did I shout at you? <laughs> Psalm 92, verse 13 to 14. The Bible says, I like it in the KJV, but I'll read it in the NIV that I have. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our Lord. They will still bear fruits in old age, and they will stay fresh and green. He says that those that are planted in the house of God will flourish in the courts of God. He says that they will bear fruits in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Again, see Paul, what Paul said. He says that, don't be drunk with wine, wearing his excess. Few verses before he was already talking, you know, with his hand, with one finger on his edge, saying that, don't be foolish, right? Don't be unwise, but know what the will of the Lord is, and don't be drunk with wine, wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now say, this is how you did, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Did you see that? They that are planted in the house of the Lord are the ones that will flourish. Like that guy at the back. You didn't get the joke, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. So when you forsake the gathering of one another, you become deficient. Hmm? You become deficient. The fullness of the Spirit is the influence of the Spirit in the life of a man who has given himself over. Who has given himself over. Just as he has decided to stop giving himself over to um, wine, you know, Becoming drunk with wine, right? He's now giving himself over to God. And how he's giving himself over to God is that he is planted in the house of the Lord. Of course, out of the vine of that planting, you know, comes his personal devotion, comes in participating and taking advantage of all the means of grace that Christ has supplied for his church. Do you understand that? Because, you know, there's a way you can listen to this message and all you are hearing is that when you come to church, it's fine. Don't do anything else. Again, don't do anything else. Okay? But don't use yourself as experiment. So this old fullness of the spirit thing, what does it look like? You know, how, how, what, what is the evidence of the fullness of the spirit? Because the, being filled with the spirit as evidence, you know, in the first context, when we're talking about it in a sovereign um, spontaneous context and all of that. We saw the evidence. Elizabeth filled with the Spirit, bore witness to the incarnation, right? Um, Zechariah filled with the Spirit, prophesied the forerunner role of John the Baptist, right? Um, Peter filled with the Spirit, bore witness before the San Andrew, uh, um, for the council and all of that. Um, What's this guy called? Stephen, is that just a guy? That man of God. Stephen, you know, before he was stoned, he was filled with the Spirit, he saw a vision and bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus and the glorification of Jesus and saying that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. So, being filled with the Spirit, they bore witness, you know, to um, the resurrection of Jesus. They were enabled by the Spirit to do something. Praise God. So, there is evidence to the fullness of the Spirit. There is evidence. So, when the Bible says that you should take responsibility for your life, and be filled with the Spirit, there is what we expect to see in someone who is filled with the Spirit. Let's look at practical examples in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. 
we ishiama apostoli Acts 6, 1-4. The Bible says that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily contribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Watch this. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. You see that? It says that there are people among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. It says that you can know that someone is full of the spirit and then they listed out these guys. The Bible says that they were men full of the spirit and wisdom. So, one of the things you will see, you know, that we can see, is that these people, they had the witness that they, had, they were walking in wisdom. They had witness that they were wise. Of course, that's because they had yielded themselves to the influence of the Spirit through His Word, through prayer, through the gathering of the saints. The Bible says that they became wise. They became wise. How did they know they were full of the spirits? Were they always drunk in church? Were they always laughing hysterically? No. If that was the, if that's how they choose deacons, we are of all men most in trouble. Praise God. Because the fullness of the spirits is not drunkenness. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not the hypercharismatic drunkenness. The fullness of the Spirit is that a person is yielded to the influence of the Spirit. A person has submitted himself to the influence of the Spirit. And so you can look at a man and say, ah, this brother is wise. If it was Luke, Luke will say, this man is full of the Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can see evidence of a man's devotion to God. You can see it in the virtues that are being produced in the person's life. Amen. Among them were people like Philip. You know, the Bible says concerning Philip um, that he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So you see a man. How did you know he's full of faith? Breaking chairs in church. That was not the fullness of the Spirit. Always laughing? No. They said he was a man full of faith. We saw evidence of a man full of faith. Faith can be recognized. Faith can be seen. A person who is willing to die is not a doubter. A person who is willing to live where he is. A person who urged that go to the road called something on the way to Gaza. Abi? Giza, waiting with that something. You know? And he went. Is that not a man full of faith? And he said, that, oh, there's a chariot running ahead of you. Go and catch up. And he went. He didn't say, why am I hearing voices? He went. That's a man full of faith. Or is it the same Philip that went into the Samaritan village, Samaritan village and preached the gospel to them? He preached the gospel to them. So they were like, ah. Apostle, Ejewa, Baba. Touch them. 
That's a man of faith. He was not an apostle. He was someone that was chosen among the congregation to serve tables. But he had a witness that he was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He had a witness that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. What about Stephen? What about Stephen? You know, the, the Bible says concerning Stephen, let me read it. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. If you're a man who has yielded yourself to the influence of the Spirit, the power of God will not be strange to you. I see with all boldness that the power of God will not be strange to you. The power of God will not be alien. It is people who have given themselves over to the Spirit who are not afraid to lay hands on the sick, trusting that the Lord will heal them. They are not afraid. The Bible says that these people were full of faith, full of power, not because they were the ones that were always falling down in church, not because they were the ones that were always acting drunk when they are singing chants. No. They could see it evidenced in their lives that they were men full of the Spirit. So when Paul says that don't be drunk with wine, Wherein his exercise, saying that don't yield yourself to natural things to the end that they control you, to the end that they lead your life. Remember what I said at the beginning, that the sin of drunkenness is that a person allows something else other than God to lead his life. And Paul says that the way you are going to allow God to lead your life is one, in our one another moment, talking to one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right? In your private moments too, right? When you pray, when you read your Bible, when you take advantage of the means of grace that the Lord has supplied to us, when you sing to the Lord, when you sing to the Lord, you are developing a culture of consecration. You are developing a culture of consecration. You will always know a consecrated man. Either you know it esoterically or you know it like in, in the fruits that they are bearing. Does this happen to you? I will just say it because it's, it's just um, what happens in practice that you will see people who someone comes up to lead prayer or something and you say that, ha, this person has a prayer life. How did you know? How did you know? Because you can know that someone has yielded themselves. People have yielded themselves to the influence of the spirits. You can know. You can tell. You can tell. And that should be us, this awake. That should be us, not forsaking the guardian of ourselves, spoiling one another to good works, speaking to one another, communicating God's words to one another, like we are doing on the group chat. That's good stuff. It may seem natural to you, but the Bible says that that's how you'll be filled with the Spirit. Praise God. As we communicate after service and with Jesus, or Pastor Sam comes up and he communicates God's word to us, as you are receiving it, as you are yielding yourself to it, you are being filled with the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit does not mean that, you know, you have Holy Spirit 1.0 and then he upgrades to 5.0. That's not the fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit is not an upgrade of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit is your yieldedness to the influence of the Spirit. Do you understand that? I know that when you heard be full of the Spirit, you were probably expecting a very charismatic Pentecostal sermon on how that when you pray for five hours, you will burst into visions. Maybe you will. But yeah, pray for one hour now. 
Do you get that the last time you prayed for one hour was when you were on campus? Last time you prayed for 30 minutes or when you were on campus. So you don't need that message. You don't need me to come and tell you that when you chant for one hour, you bust into visions. All you need to know is what is written. That you will not forsake our one another moment. You will not be ruled by carnal things. You will not allow natural things to become your Lord. You will allow the Holy Spirit to be your Lord. Because he is Lord. So you know. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Hmm? Who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son is what? Worshipped and glorified. He is Lord. Now the Lord is our spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is skinny, liberty, freedom. Praise God. So when the Bible says that you should be filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? That you are yielded to the Lordship of the Spirit. And the Lordship of the Spirit, or the Spirit who will be Lord in your life, you know, as you give him room. I know, um, you know, someone can hear that and say, it's a bloody opinion. Don't give him room. Don't pray. Don't come to church. Wait for the Lord to sovereignly fill you. Any questions? You don't have question. You want to pray. If you don't have question, let us pray. He has a contribution. Okay, he has mine. Good evening, everyone. Um, so the so I heard someone say, someone who shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> say that the best way to um, imagine or picture being filled with the Spirit is um, the way um, a ship is filled, the way the, what do you call that thing now? The sail of a ship is filled with wind to carry it wherever the wind wants. So that's the best way to visualize it, that you are being carried by the Spirit because you set, your, you set yourself free to let the spirit carry you. Yeah. Apostolos speaker. My own issue with that is that it's a very good analogy. The problem is what do they think the sales is? Because if you think the sales is, ooh, ah, it's moving me to like this, like this, the sales should be yieldedness and increase in sanctification, which will manifest in things like boldness and, of course, there can be other charismatic motivation, but the sale is not um I'll fall down. Oh yeah, hey, all those kind of kiss me, kiss me, you know that. Just be careful. So let's just know. Before um, before Glory, Rosin, do you still want to talk about your question? Like after him, do you still want to talk about your question? What year? Do you understand it? <laughs> right, give glory first. All right. So as far as analogies go, so you poked holes. One of my my favorite analogies on being drunk with the spirit. 
So I want you to I want you to check this one out. Then tell me if it if it makes sense. Um, I was thought that being drunk with the spirit is being under the influence of the spirit, and like the same way the drunk the drunkard sees the world differently, the drunkard talks differently, and drunkard walks differently. Um, yielding yourself to the influence of the spirit will affect the way you see things, will affect the way you. It should reflect in the quality of your words, then to alter your conduct. So that was how I was taught being drunk in the spirit. How did they know that the deacons were filled with the spirit? Your illustration answers the question. Abby? They they knew that they were filled with the spirit, not because they were always doing visual things. Like there were these six guys in our church, or these seven guys in our church, every time they come to service, this is how they work. Like a popular prophet. And then they say, America is going to enter Nigeria and tamper with our natural resources. I'm not sure yet of when it will happen. But it will happen. But it may not happen. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you're right. Sorry, I... Probably. Um, I'll just first thank Brasher for this <laughs> thing because you know I was saying some time ago that there are a lot of junk you've learned that you you are you are you don't you think you've learned everything. But small small in the future you'll not be seeing some things but you know being corrected and everything. I should say something about your analogy. Your analogy is correct. But the problem is that you can be saying something and another person's gain that. Because for Brashed really highlighted something now. He highlighted something very important, right? Which is that what Paul was actually saying was that don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. So, please forgive me. So, the, the correction is that you should not yield yourself to something to the point where your behavior becomes debauched. Rather, it should be filled with the Holy Spirit. But instead, we heard it as fill yourself to the point where you begin to behave debauched. In the spirit. So you will be having debauched in the spirit. No, he didn't say you feel till you are debauched. He said, don't he said, don't actually do that. Instead, you feel in the spirit. So if it's altering the way you talk, what do you mean? Do you mean altering it to be talking debauchedly? And singing debauchedly, or increasing sanctification. You begin to see things from a more sanctified perspective, and begin to act from a more sanctified perspective. Because it makes a lot of sense. It now makes so many so much sense why in our heads we just assume that what it means to be filled in spirit means that your your sense your, your your state of consciousness is altered and your inhibitions are lowered, and because of that, you can now act more debauchedly, which is evidenced by all the things that we see people doing. And it makes sense that after such encounters, they will go home with the same evil behaviors. Do you understand? There's actually, it's actually just dawning on me now that there's something debauched about falling and screaming in the presence of people for the sake of gaining attention. It's very wrong. It's just that it makes a lot of sense. There, there are a lot of these things that are now, now, you have to understand what I'm saying. That you have to be careful that. I'm not saying that, um, you know, we cannot yield ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, whereby the Holy Spirit does things through us. But we see through the scriptures that all the things that we had in our heads were not any of the examples that the apostles gave us. As for being for examples of being filled 
in the spirit. So the Holy Spirit, Apostle Paul didn't say be filled with the spirit and become divorced. I actually said, don't be divorced. To get people who are drunk and so it is altering our sense of because it's honestly that when people say it alters the way you think, it alters the way you talk. And I've seen that thing so many times that have you seen the way a drunk man talks before? They talk anyhow. You two talk anyhow. Have you seen a drunk man laughing? You two start laughing anyhow. That's actually divorced behavior. That is actually what we call divorce. And God have mercy. Yeah, and they also misinterpret Acts too when they say that um, those who put witness to what happened to the disciples. They said that they were drunk with new wine. And so we now say that that means that on the day of Pentecost, they saw them behaving doing things. Yeah. It was their behavior. The apostles were considered drunk not because they were behaving debauchedly. They were considered drunk because they were speaking a language that some people did not understand. So it was a mixed multitude. Some people could understand. Some people could not understand, which makes perfect sense. Now, if you see someone, if, if you see someone with a straight face acting normally, talking to you and speaking a language that you don't understand on the day of Pentecost, what would you say? Are you okay? Early in the morning, of course. So, you know, let us let us all remove this mentality in our mind that being filled with the spirit means to actually be able to God. It's actually the opposite of that. Being filled with the spirit means to build our life, just like that. I don't speak your message again. That we yield ourselves over to God completely. It is boldness. It is, I'm so full of what Jesus has done that I see someone who is languishing in sin and I'm bold enough to tell them that, bro, this thing will lead you to God. God loves you. That's what needs to be filled. That your consciousness is completely taken over by what? By the Spirit. Your consciousness is taken over. It is in the state of that consciousness that you look up and Jesus will open your eyes and see, to see him sitting at the right hand of it's also in that kind of atmosphere that God can give you a song and what is coming to your mind as you are glorifying God that you are so filled with the presence of God that you are just finding yourself saying, oh my God is good, my God is great. He has delivered me from shackles of Satan and he has brought me to the kingdom of light and you are saying it and someone is recording it as a hymn. Before you know it, that's what someone calls a hymn. But your mind was filled with the Holy Spirit and you were speaking and that is inspiration. Do you understand that? Do you know what I'm saying? So that is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I have a question. And it ties to some of these examples you gave. So, being filled with the Spirit, evidence of being filled with the Spirit. If someone, how do I ask the question now? So, there's the part of living a life where people can testify that this person is a man full of the Spirit. But then the examples you used, especially from Acts, there was Stephen, there was Philip, and they would say, being filled with the Spirit, they did this. Being filled with the Spirit, they did that. Even using Elizabeth as an example, being filled with the Spirit, she, she did all of all this. How do you differentiate? Because, and I think that's the cause of confusion to a number of people, especially when you try to talk to people about those things. The cause of confusion is a certain man of God said, he said this thing as a result of being filled with the Spirit. Now, a believer hears that and is thinking to themselves, how do I have such and such results by being filled with the Spirit? At what point do I know if this is the filling of the Spirit? And I think it's an attempt to begin to describe it that people will say things like, when you are not, when you are almost, like there are some, there's a certain sect 
where they we we are maybe we are dealing with this now. Some people that wear some certain garments, the, the way they act out some of all these things, and to someone who is unlearned, they will see this name and they will tell them that I'm saying this as a result of being through this. I'm not even going that far because some of those ones are clear cut. But there are people who would come to churches and they will say this man of God said this and he was filled with the spirit, and then being filled with the spirit, he made this um, um, statement. Or being filled with the Spirit, they did that. If we were to speak to some of the examples that were used, we actually see um, acts of power, of which a man cannot do it by himself. You cannot heal somebody if the Spirit is not the one healing the person. And those are some of the examples that we see. But there's also the part of prophesying by being filled with the Spirit. And if you look at all the gifts of the Spirit, um, there's healing, there's prophesying, and all of that. So the question now is, to a believer that is hearing these things, and they are thinking to themselves, okay, I know that I'm not supposed to act like I'm drunk with wine. But is there a particular place where I'll know, okay, the light has been switched on, and now this is no longer me, but this is now me with the Spirit moving me to, to enable, enabling me to do what? Another way to ask that question is if you were to, again, practically speaking, if there was someone who was lame or someone who is sick and you want to lay your hands on the person, again, like I said, if but I look was here and he was seeing it. You say, Ijama being moved of the spirit, laid a hand on the person. But a believer might be thinking, at what point would that spirit switch on in me that I can lay my hand on the person such that that he will stand up and walk? Oh, you understand? Nah. So you look at all the gifts of the spirit, all the outworkings, all the examples, and the question is, is there a point to a believer? Like talking of people in our midst, talking of ourselves, is there a point that you're supposed to get to where something switches on? Oh. And then we now tell you. Okay. Go ahead, you have so, I'll, 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 I'll say what okay. I have and then I'll hand it over to the apostle so that they will verify. Yeah. Yes. So, I'll answer. <laughs> so, um, you have a question, Abby. Salut. You. you want to answer too? Okay. So, I was going to say that um, first of all, it, is the reason why I differentiated it at the beginning, that there is a context where we saw that the being filled with the Spirit was a sovereign act of God, right, on a person, such that um, we see Elizabeth, we see Zechariah, we see um, Peter, right, because I've been filled with the Spirit, he didn't plan it, but we also see the fruit of it, right, we weren't just saying dragons, right, um, Peter was speaking of the resurrection of Jesus and all of that, um, was Elizabeth was speaking of the incarnation, right? So it wasn't just saying, it wasn't just, just saying stuff. Now, let's leave that for now. Now, there is now the part of taking responsibility according to Ephesians chapter 5 that says that um, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And in this place of responsibility, it is a... It is not a thing of, I'm waiting for a switch to turn on in my life, in my mind. It is a thing of a lifetime of consecration. A lifetime that I am living, a kind of life I am living, such that when they say that we need five people in our church that are full of the Spirit, it is not people who have switches that they are looking for. They are looking for people who have seen a consistent walk with the Spirit. Do you get Yeah, so... Mm. 
So my own answer is that that is on God. On God. Because I, just like I said from the beginning, remember, I said it, that there's a context of being filled with the Spirit that is sovereign, that is spontaneous, that we cannot walk it. We cannot, it's God. So if God does a thing, I'm, I'm preaching, I go out on evangelism, right? And there's this sudden burst of boldness to talk to people. I know that the Lord empowered me in that moment and I was bold and I spoke to people, right? Um, I have a practical example. Should I give it to me? So I remember back in UI, my 100 level days, I used to be very bored because I just stay inside the room in the evening. So in the evening, I will leave my hostel, go outside UI gates to preach in the night. And that was very weird, thinking about it now, that I'll go out at night. And people will be looking at me somehow. So, but I remember that I was passing this one, I can't forget. I was passing by, right? And then there was this place where these guys were sitting down and drinking shepherd and all those things. And they were there. And in my mind, I was like, I should go and talk to them. I'm like, no, I ain't doing that. <laughs> lie, lie. But as our daddies used to say, before God who made me, <laughs> all I shall know is that I crossed the road. I sat down among them and I started talking to them. It was weird. I was scared and I was talking. And the man was just opening up. He was like, guy, life is hard. You know, can you come? I was just saying that Jesus loves you. You know, some, something. How I left that place, I don't know. I shall know that I was on this side of the road. These guys are on the other side of the road. Agbowo, if you know Ibadan, you know Agbowo. You know Agbowo is not a place where you're just going among people that are drinking shepherd and sit down with them. You don't do such. Why will you do such with your life? Why will you play with your life? But. <laughs> I was in 100 level, and I crossed the road. And I promise you, I didn't plan to cross the road, right? Now, am I saying that somebody pulled um, a purpose rubber on my back or something? No, I'm just saying that I think that the Lord emboldened me to go there. What, so do we, do we anticipate times? So I'm just, so I'm speaking practically because that's one of the gripes um, sensationists have with um, charismatics. How that, how can you systematize it? And that's why I said, this thing is sovereign. This thing is God. So let God do it. Free. <laughs> One last question. Based on what you just said, and instead building from that example, is it possible that there's a state of heart that the person would have where um, they are more, for lack of a better word, susceptible to, to being filled with the Spirit? And I'm that. talking of outworkings, right? Um, um, let's take it that being the, the part of living a consecrated life to God is taken care of. Yeah. Is it possible that there's a state of heart that some certain types of people can have yes. such that they have more of those outworkings? Yes. But, and is it also possible that you can close yourself up? Let me quickly answer it. Uh-huh. So, That's if you remember, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we were talking about the part of responsibility, we talked about the seven, the seven deacons, right? Are they six or seven? Why do I always say seven? There are seven, okay. We talked about the seven deacons. And the testimony they had was not a spontaneous one. They said, for example, after, while they were listing the deacons, they got to a man called Philip, and they said it was a man full of faith and power. It wasn't a spontaneous thing, though. They said, this is who he is, this man, full of faith. We know him. He's a man full of faith. So we know this man. He has worked with God. This man, we know him. He's a man full of faith. 
So yes, if apart from how that God can sovereignly intervene in a situation, maybe because he wants to reach someone, right, and he fills you with boldness, and you're going to speak with someone. I also know that a person will spend time in the Word of God, spend time in fellowship with God, such that he's not afraid again. Up until death, right? I was reading Polycarp, and up until his death, they were telling him, oh, say away with the atheists. He said this, but he didn't know that he was yabbing them. And then, after I said away with the atheists, he now said, they now said that he should, you know, offer the sacrifices to Caesar and all of that. And he said that, it is something years, I have known the Lord. And he has not done me any injury. So why would I now deny him? I mean, few verses, few chapters before in that same book of, um, that martyrdom of Polycarp, there was one man, I think they called him Quintus the Apostate or something like that. There was one man like that. His own, they told him that they are going to kill you if you, unless you offer the sacrifices. They said they offered the sacrifices, and everybody in church are calling him something, something, the apostates. I think Quintus the apostate or something like that. Who knows the name? Quintus Abi? Yes. They said calling him Quintus the apostate. So a man can actually live his life, right, in the fullness of the Spirit, which means yielding themselves. And that is the life we we'll know them for. Ah, this man, we know him. He's a man full of faith. This man, we know him. He's a man full of wisdom. So yes, there are, yes, I say confidently that there are people who, because they've yielded themselves to the Spirit of God, they, will, they are more likely to go and meet those people and sit down among them. Me, I will need divine intervention to go and sit down among them as at that time. As I now, I don't know yet. <laughs> I'm assuming divine intervention. <laughs> but I think I'm good. You have, hey, the people that will stress us today. Let's start with Sammy. <laughs> so I just want to add to what to answer um, Pasaji's question. So I think IBK led prayer, I think maybe like three weeks ago, and she said something about. Continue, I, I, you know, it's a good thing when your babe leads prayer and can reference your babe. She said something I think it's a line about Pastor thought today to answer the question. So, and she said something. So, no, <laughs> no she, she, she said it to me before she made it before, a week before. So, Charles Spurgeon said something about John Boyan. And I want to read it. He said, He has studied our authorized version till, we, till his whole being was saturated with scripture. And through his writings, continually makes us feel and say, Why is this man a living Bible? Prick him anywhere, and you'll find that his blood is in, the, is in the Bible. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting the text, for his soul is full of the word of God. So I, I, I think John Boyan, if you study John Boyan's life, he's a man that went through so many trials. He spent 13 years in prison, so, so his, child, his child died, he's lost so much. I think he answers the question based on yeah. how... Yeah, his fellowship. Yeah, based on how he was... Be, was, he was filled with the Spirit every part of his life. He may not have had the experiences Philip and Stephen had, but he's a man today. Like, I, I'm not, I don't think I've heard anybody that read Big in Progress that says their certification has not gotten better or their life has not gotten better. So I, I think that just captures it. I think for some other people, in, even in church history, now I'm trying to bring it, why I use this example is because sometimes when I look at Stephen Philip, I look like, ah, they are bigger than us. But if you look through the line of Christian history, from church fathers to reform fathers, and even till now, you see people that might not have had experiences like well, that scriptures. Was their, that was their have, way of life. But you can look at their life and say, but look, look at your boy. He's say we prick him. That's if the Bible flows out of him. It was a man that lived a good life. So, yeah. Yeah. 
That's just definitely that kind of person now. You now say that he's not bold. He's bold. When they, and to be fair, so like I was saying the other time, that if Luke was recording his life now, he would say, That man, full of the spirit, full of faith. Because even Paul, in his explanation, or what we usually call his explanation of the of the spirit in Colossians, says that let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let it dwell in you richly. You know, yield yourselves. That is Sammy. Papa. Ah, please give him. <laughs> uh, please, courses. <laughs> so, um, yesterday I, I posted a video of one of my favorite pastors on my WhatsApp status, Mokbumosho. And, uh, <laughs> and instead of using the word feel the spirit, use he the word drunk. drunk. But use this in our context. Yes, but a friend of a pastor of mine, a pastor friend of mine, you know, he replied that said, Sam, there's something wrong with this. And I said, Sir, I know this man. He's not saying something strange. You'd probably agree. And he said, Yes, but um, it points to what you said actually. Because I, I kept see I kept seeing how you said being drunk with wine and being filled with the spirit. And he said, Guy, and like you normally call it, say salute. <laughs> this thing that you are playing with, you can only play with it because you know the Bible. But for people who are not really anti- um, acquainted with the dictates of Scripture, when they hear being drunk with the Spirit, what they are hearing is being inhibited or being inebriated with uh, the Spirit, so that they behave crazy and all that. What's mean of inhibited and inebriated? Inebriated means being so inhibited. Or sorry, so. So, I mean, he now explained, and he explained properly, and he said that it's almost like the way people use, uh, say, Adam knew his wife, and say, that's how we're supposed to know God, you know? You know, and actually, you know, <laughs> and then to even, to even put the legs of one of our elder of this local house, you know the example he used that time, last, that we were screaming in the house, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, the, the, the idea is the same, the idea is similar, right? Um... <laughs> the idea is similar, but um, I think we should stick with the biblical language on the issue that a person is not drunk with the spirit, that he's filled with the spirit because the context there is even self-control, right? That somebody who is drunk with wine loses his inhibitions and behaves like someone that is crazy. But somebody who is filled with the spirit, right, is under the influence of the spirit to, such, to such a degree that he's, he controls the basic desires of flesh. And I'm going to say something that you guys will drag me later for, but I will still say it anyway. Um, at some point in my life, I used to believe that there's a, there's a difference between the sovereign, to, to address Pastor I.J.'s question. Um, I used to think that there's a difference between the sovereign move of God with regard than the responsible part we have to be filled with the Spirit. But lately in my Christian work, and even remembering some of the things I've gone through lately, I, I don't think there's a remarkable difference. I, do, I don't think so. So, I mean, God is, like I say, I mean, if I'm talking about a pastor that I don't agree with, and I think he's a false teacher, and somebody says, oh, God has used him so much, I'm like, God used the bush, you know? Uh, God, it doesn't make the bush special, you know? God used um, a donkey to, to, to warn Balaam. <laughs> doesn't mean that the donkey is not to be hallowed and worshipped, right? And the donkey still died a miserable death at the end of the day. So, I'm like, God using things necessarily is not should not be our focus. So and it really throws the spanner into the hardcore sensationist 
behaving that, oh, when God wants to move, you should just move. I'm like, that's not a content, that's not a comment on your faithfulness. It's a comment on God's mercy. However, the truth is, a person who is giving to following God will more, will be more likely to see God move in his life than somebody else. And it's so funny because even like someone like Charles Spurgeon, right, who was a, uh, he has a whole, a whole message on dogged cessationism, right? And then this man is giving to prayer, he's giving to, he behaves like he's regular charismatic, his church burns down and he's crying, he's depressed, you know, and then he's not giving him, he's not having impressions, you know, and I'm like, if <laughs> it give, you cannot, what? and it's not a word of knowledge, I don't know, he's having, imp- he's not a word of knowledge, I refuse to say such, <laughs> he's having impressions and stuff like that, I, you know, it, it just caused very accurate impressions, that we don't know from the, because there's no definition for word of knowledge. <laughs> I'm joking. But I mean, you have someone like that who is giving to prayer, reading the Bible, so passionate about God, and then you have things like that pop up in his life. Because God is, God's sovereignty often, a lot of times, plays through people who are faithful. You know? Of course, and, and then if we look at David, a man after God's heart. If he sinned, he was not perfect, fine. But we saw what the Lord used him to do. We saw the Psalms he was able to write. And it, there's a reason why those Psalms did not come from Saul. <laughs> so, again, again, it, it looks like, it, for me, the, be, the better picture to marry the idea of God's sovereignty with man's agency is still, for me, the classic Protestant way of compatibilist theology where man is truly free and God is truly working through the ways of man to produce his outcomes so that it was not any random person that God selected to talk to the eunuch or Philip. Right, it was not just any random person that God used, but Stephen. Right, it wasn't any random person that God used to go and talk to the man at Aguo. It was somebody who was predisposed to going to preach in the night, you know. So I'm like, and, and I've said it in my life pressed so many times. I mean, last year, I, I've said it a lot. A friend of mine who lost her parents, we're praying. I was praying, and so when I was praying, I would say, Oh, my miss, my classmates will see me, they think I'm crying because of law school. It's not law school, I was not even reading at that time, you know. and one day I just I just felt the need to call her and I called her and I said I remember I remember shh will you touch about how you, you, you saw a vision before you called her I don't know I don't know what everybody Sammy said a vision before you called her now <laughs> and, continue and, your and, story and, 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 I, and, I, and I called her and <laughs> because that's what it does to me every time he saw a vision in the night he was alone this in the room he saw a vision actually separate he called the best thing I don't know what she's talking, she's talking about but what are people <laughs> talking about is <laughs> So this person was she, she um her dad she had lost her mom some years back, and then she lost her dad last year to kidney disease, and we we're praying for a healing, you know, because of James five and everything, and I, I I was just praying one day about him and I just started tearing up and I called her and I said I just told her the thing about sovereignty and how we trust God and how we have to prepare sometimes that in in prayer sometimes prayer prepares us to bear that which God is predisposed to allow in our lives. And I remember her crying on the phone and weeping. And when I caught it, I was feeling like a bad person. But just do that. Bro, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm sorry about that, you know. And when it happened, ironically, I went to her house and she was not praying. She was not, of course, she was not reading her Bible and all that. She was complaining. And one of the things that enabled me to be able to talk to her out of that season of dryness was the fact that, I mean, this is something that we saw coming. You know, and the Lord had committed this to our hearts in his grace and mercy to us. 
vis-à-vis -vis the people that were trying to say, don't stop believing, go to his casket, and there were people like that, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> a lot of times, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is in the little things. My principal used to say something, that God is in the details. The way they say the devil is, they say, God is in the little things. It's the little drops of water, the little things that we do, praying, reading our Bibles, more importantly, coming to church, more importantly, talking to people, and then we just realize that as you are preaching, you address something in somebody's life. You know, as you are praying, you just start praying for somebody that you have never talked about before. Those are not random occurrences. I don't think one of the most tragic behaviors of a Christian is to think that his life is just random. You know, so I think there's a specific working of the Lord that comes in our faithfulness. It's not a reward for what we do, but it's almost like us bringing our sick to God to. Um, address one. Thank you very much. And if I hand over to Brother Sam, um, <laughs> I would just like to read what Pastor Kingsley um, wrote on the group. I know I want to read this, but I'll just read this. From the book of Acts of the Apostles, going forward, there's really no mention of anyone who was filled in the Spirit in isolation. Everyone filled with the Spirit was so filled in the presence of other believers. Abby? The very first thing Apostle Paul did when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit was to look for food to eat. He did not have strength to be moving drunk in the Spirit. <laughs> Elder. <laughs>